0: 85% of adults say they regularly experience stress, with half recognising that they are too stressed. We need to talk about anxiety. This autumn, we'll be looking at some of the different forms of anxiety and the issues that can be on our minds. Jesus had a lot to say about our mental wellbeing, and we believe his gospel is the very best solution to dealing with anxiety.
1: Uh, it was made to look like you start a business and in a of time, you're a millionaire. Um, yeah, and then you, you do a month of, of it and you realise you, you can't pay your rent. Um, yeah, so I, for me money was a, was a massive factor because that was my source of income. I had no other, I put kind of like all my eggs on this basket. Every it's like aspect a completely
0: different level of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and sometimes you could even be in a good place, like it was literally yesterday, like everything's fine with me. But I just started to think about the future and the potential expenses that could come. You just start to feel it again. You're like, oh my goodness, I need more clients. And you're, you're okay. Like yeah. if, you look, if somebody wants to look at you or look at like a paper profile of you, you're fine. But you just start to think about what could come.
2: So we've been going through a series on looking at anxiety and all different kind of subjects uh, to do with that. And uh, this morning we're talking about the subject of money. Uh, We're just going to look at the subject and we're also going to give it this morning. Uh, So if you're feeling anxious about giving it, hopefully by the end um, I'm going to say some things that can help you dig deep and give lots of money too. Uh, But that's not my main goal at all. My main goal this morning is to help you know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. Okay, so we are going to talk about money. We are talking about, going, about, going to talk about giving it. and We are going to talk about, uh, talk about anxiety. But most of all, I want you to know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. All the, subject, all the subjects we've been looking at uh, are very relevant subjects. It's been great over the last few weeks. I, uh, I'm often at the Meet the Team at the end of the service. People come and speak to me, those who are new. And I often say, I've been here because of the subject you're talking about. I saw it on social media. A friend mentioned it to me. and So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here specifically because of the subject of money. That wouldn't surprise me when we look at the statistics around money. Let me read this to you. Personal debt has continued to increase since the Second World War, particularly after the financial crisis recently in 2008. Our nation's economy is actually built upon this fact. As of 2017, total outstanding personal debt is equivalent to around 90% of the country's gross domestic product. Today, 16 million British people have less than £100 in savings. Debt plays an increasing part in day to day spending. Many people borrow simply to cope with life's events such as job loss, divorce, or illness, or in order to meet their basic needs. Money stress is epidemic in our society. And most people are affected. Added to this is the barrage of adverts and a culture driven by what we need in inverted comments. What we need grows and grows. Consumerism is rampant in our society, driving a lot of the debt kind of culture around us. Also, a recent survey of money bloggers showed that uh, they're echoing some of these things. And saying that the things they're discovering is a lot of people have fears, anxieties around security. Will my money work for me? When can I retire? Or around ethics, does what I buy exploit others? It's a question a lot of us are asking. Fear of overspending, buying what, we want, buying what we need, but will it eventually lead us in a place where we don't have enough? And what about the subject of giving? Can I really afford to give? Will there be enough left over for me? These statistics and fears help us to realise that our relationship to money is not a neutral matter, but affects and reflects our inner person. Each one of us is massively affected by money. It comes in and out of our hands and out of our bank accounts day by day. We have plenty of very good reasons to be anxious about it. But the good news is that Jesus has some things to say about this, some things very directly to say about it. And so we're going to look today at the passage in Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 33. If you've got a Bible or an app, you can feel free to turn there. And this is a passage right in the midst of Jesus' very famous sermon, probably the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been around us this year, you'll know that we spent a lot of time camped out in those passages uh, before the summer, but we skipped out this passage, knowing that we're going to come back it, back to it this particular Sunday. And in this passage, God, Jesus speaks very clearly. He talks about money and he talks about anxiety, saying, do not be anxious about it. And the whole sermon, the whole sermon, not just this section, is about how do we flourish as humanity? What is God's plan for us? How how are we blessed? How can we be happy in the world that God has placed us upon? And uh, Jesus would have us look at the issue of money in an often different way that we look at it. A viewpoint that at times can seem a bit upside down. There's a deep irony in human existence. According to Jesus' teachings, when people seek to keep everything together and provide for themselves apart from God, the result is not the sort of the peace, but rather anxiety. It's only when we seek first God's kingdom... Make him the focus of our whole hearts and our lives. When we come into relationship with him, that we can find true flourishing
0: and true peace. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Will be added to you.
2: Okay, so let's get into this subject of money that that Jesus uh, kind of very clearly addresses there in this passage, telling us very explicitly do not be anxious about it. And as he goes through this uh, passage, he kind of gives these three pairings that we're going to look at. He kind of contrasts the foolish person, how I deal with money, and the wise person. He contrasts the person who worships God and the person who worships money. And finally, he contrasts the person who is anxious around money and the person who trusts God. So we're going to start by looking at the negative ones in that list. And then we're going to look at what's the answer to them. So the first one is verse 19. Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Those who lay out their, their wealth in that way are foolish people. Now he doesn't use that word foolish here, but it's kind of his nod to it. Because elsewhere in the sermon in other, way, other places in, in, in the Bible where there are proverbs like Proverbs and Psalms, wisdom literature, it contrasts these two people. Like the foolish person and the wise person. Jesus is doing that here. He's saying, hey, the, the, the fool and, and the wise person, they both invest their money. They both have wealth in, and they both do things with it. But the foolish person, they only look to the now. Or maybe when I say the now, they look to just this life here on earth. Whereas the wise person, well, they look ahead. They invest not just now, well, that's okay, but look ahead as well. Because all treasures laid up on earth are susceptible to decay, loss, theft, and destruction and deterioration. It is not a matter of if they will be lost, but rather of when. There's no genuine security on earth. If this last decade has taught us anything, it's taught us that. Businesses businesses that we thought were going to be around forever are lost, bankrupt. And people who had great wealth are suddenly in a different place. Jesus isn't saying that handling money is itself foolish, but just that our approach to it can be. That we are to be good investors, but to realise that this life isn't all there is when it comes to investing it. We're not to become monks in our outlook on money and investment, but rather to be shrewd with it, investing in internal rewards where it has true worth and value, and where it cannot be stolen or destroyed. This might be a bit weird for you to hear if you don't yet know Jesus. If you're not a believer, to so talk about eternity, talk about new heavens and new earth where treasures can be laid out might sound a bit odd. I, I totally get that. And uh, even as Christians, it can feel a bit odd sometimes. What does it really mean to house treasures in heaven? I was on a train journey with someone this week. And we were just unpacking it. What does that really mean? And the Bible gives us lots of language around it, but it's all quite um, uh, kind of uh, pictorial. It doesn't, it's not always that tangible. We trust that when God says that laying up here is, is where we'll lose it. But if we send it on ahead, we'll keep it forever and be multiplied many times over. We trust him with that. And we're going to come back to it in a few moments. So the foolish person versus the wise person. Jesus then goes on to talk about uh, someone not being able to serve two masters. Not having two laws, Not having two gods. You can't worship God and worship money. You do have to choose. It's not a pairing that Jesus gives us. And uh, really Jesus just referring to elsewhere in the Bible. Just looking at the first commandment of the ten commandments. Or elsewhere where Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers, it's to love the Lord your God with all that you are. As Christians, as believers, actually all people, we find our purpose in our relationship with God. One in which we humbly declare that he is the Lord of all. And that we are to worship him with our whole lives, with all our being. Him and not anyone or not anything else. You can't have two lords. You can't have two gods. You can't have two bosses. Now, I really thought, actually, maybe you could have two bosses. In fact, I've had two or three bosses at times. In fact, it's quite common in our city for people to have multiple jobs and have multiple bosses. But in terms of being devoted to one, you can only really be devoted to one. Even having multiple bosses, I wouldn't... wouldn't, um, Recommend. It tears you in different directions. It's hard to juggle your life. Having one thing, one thing that you do well, the one thing you're devoted to is much easier. Not saying it's wrong to have more than one job, but just saying that being devoted to more than one thing is difficult. And when it comes to what you worship and what you make Lord of your life, you really can only have one. You may be thinking, yes, but I don't serve money. It's not my master. It's not my Lord. It's not my God. Surely it's just those kind of people who are greedy and money-grabbing that actually worship money. Maybe you don't feel like you're one of those people. But the reality is all of us can be tempted at times to worship money, to make money a bit of an idol in our lives. It can come in in all kinds of subtle ways. It's not just our caricature of what a greedy person looks like. But all of us in subtle ways can put money on the throne in our life. Maybe some of these statements might help you uh, 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 connect with this. Have you ever thought one of these things, or maybe said them out loud? Things like, "Life would be better if I just had dot dot dot." I would sleep better knowing that I had enough money to cover fill in the blank. Our future, our kids' future, would be secure if only X number of pounds came in. I just wish I had this or that or could afford this or that. Then I know I would be happy. If only I could get a pay rise or a better paying job, then life would be easier. Or Maybe you've just found yourself depressed or disappointed or downhearted because of financial difficulties. All these things can be subtle ways in which money acts as a kind of God in our lives and in our hearts. Our well-being, our ability to flourish, our peace is limited by how we relate to money and by extension material things. He's acting as a functional saviour, taking the place that God should have. All the time that this is the case, Jesus is saying that this is a kind of anxiety. So he's saying that this kind of anxiety is a sign of double-mindedness, of double-heartedness. Trying to serve both God and money is both an offence against God Because only he deserves our adoration. And also, ultimately, is a lack of peace. All the time we chase after money for our security. It offers so much but rarely delivers. Many studies have shown that, yeah, there there is more contentment in life with more money, but it never really brings total contentment. Never total peace and happiness. Mental health issues don't suddenly go away. Relational issues don't go away. God can't go. Money can't ultimately be our saviour. There have been times in my life where money has definitely been on the throne. A couple of summers ago, I was on holiday and uh, I have a lot of kids. I have six kids and uh, so our life is busy and I have made the choice to have six kids. They weren't some random accident. We did choose to have them and uh, I love them most of the time, but occasionally, I love them all the time, but occasionally um, the number of them, just the vast, vast number of them, occasionally throws me off my game. And we We're on holiday, and it hadn't been the going great, our holiday, and uh, we rocked up to, I think it's like a restaurant or something, and, and there was this family sitting there with children the same age as my eldest. They had like a 15 and 14-year-old, and they're having a wonderful, quiet meal together. As a family, and they had starters and pudding, and I'm sure they were going out somewhere afterwards, that kind of stuff. And just inside, I had this little grumble of, like, if only we'd stopped at two. (laughs) We'd have so much more time, and we have so much more money. And I just thought, oh, if only that's what would make me happy, if only we had a bit of money. And uh, I just just started verbalizing this to my wife, who just, just tired of me and said, You'll get over this in 10 minutes. What are you talking about? You love our kids too much. She's like, you're, you're, you know, but just sometimes you think, oh, if only I had this. That's what would make me happy in life. There's another season in my life where um, I lived, uh, before I lived in Brighton, I was very, very unhappy with the place that I was living. And I was, I was a Christian, but I wasn't currently in church. And and uh, I just started thinking, how do I get out of this situation? How do I find peace where I'm so down about my life? And I decided just to work hard, get into toiling hard, thinking that's what will, if I get enough money that I can get out of my situation, get out of this place. And I'll start gambling as well, as I started playing the lottery every Wednesday and Friday. And it was just two years of just... Um, turmoil in my heart in reality there was no peace in that there was no peace in you no know, it's good to work hard don't get me wrong but there's no peace behind it because all the time I think can I get enough money can I do enough overtime to get enough money together to leave this place can I win enough money by gambling by playing the lottery to get out of the place and God in his mercy made sure I not, didn't win one penny and uh, held me locked in that place until I eventually just humbly came to him and said God I need you Money can't fix the ills in my heart. Only you can. Moving on to the last pairing that Jesus gives us in this passage. He talks about uh, the Gentiles, those who make money, uh, uh, who are anxious about money, and uh, those who are God's people, Christians and the Jewish people in this, in this, uh, in this sermon, and, uh, and those who have those who in relationship with God and know how to trust him. He moves on to this very pictorial part of the sermon where he talks about the birds of the air and flowers of the field. It ends by saying, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles, those who are living without God. Jesus is pairing that, saying, don't be those without God. Have God in your life. Trust him. That's the way that leads away to peace and away from anxiety. He obviously broadens the, the subject, not just for money, but all kinds of material concerns that we have. These verses don't state all the Bible says or even that Jesus has to say about the subject of money. But in this particular passage, he's saying this is about your heart. It's okay to plan. It's okay to invest your money. It's good to provide for your family. The Bible speaks favourably about all those things. But in, this, in these verses, he's really just trying to get under the skin of the people who are listening. Take like, where is your trust? Who are you trusting for security? Is it in pounds and pence? Or is it in the God of all love and comfort? Jesus points too to the foolishness of worry itself. Saying it does not add money to our bank accounts. And it does not impart any extra life to us. He also has a mild rebuke. You of little faith. What we do with our money has to be done with faith. And a marvel proof not to be like the Gentiles, those outside the kingdom of God, who seek after these things and let them consume them, seeking after the, the meeting of their own needs. But encouraging people to live differently. This is a normal human human experience that needs addressing. The reason Jesus labours the point because he knows the reality: of life is tough, life is troublesome. It does come with its anxieties, but he's encouraging people to walk with the heavenly Father. And your anxiety will melt away. Not because your problems do, but because you get your perspective changed. Get your mind informed. So what does Jesus say? What does he say to the unwise, to the the foolish? What does he say to the idolater? What does he say to the person who's struggling to trust? Is he simply saying, just stop that? No, he's not simply saying stop that. But he has got a simple answer for us. He's saying quite simply, that the answer to all those three people is a relationship with the living God. Earlier in the year, um, from my friends, or I don't, I don't know how we got caught up in this conversation, but I had this conversation with a few people, maybe even with you yourself, asking this particular question. If you could only have meat from one animal for the rest of your life, what animal would you choose? Maybe that's a question you can ask over lunch today. Now, first thing to acknowledge is that I've just alienated all the vegetarians and the vegans in the room. My apologies. You can too can ask the question. You just need to change the phrasing slightly. You just need to ask if you could only have protein from one plant source for the rest of your life, what plant source would you choose? And I have entered into that question too. My answer would be cashew nuts. I once ate a whole kilogram of them on a bus ride across East Africa. It wasn't great for me, but uh, still have cashews. But... Returning to the carnivorous question, what meat, what animal would you choose? And uh, there are various merits. I thought people have argued for cows saying, well, steak. That surely is good enough reason to win this argument. And beef burgers, I was like, okay, fair enough. Or pigs who have a multiple different uh, meats you get. Then you got, you, know, you got your pork chops, you got your ham, you've got your gammon, you got your bacon, you got sausages. I'm like, fair play. But I have landed time and time again, and I'm utterly convinced that chicken is the winner for me. I just love it. I love chicken with a passion you can only dream about. <laughs> chicken curry, roast chicken, chicken wings. I've got some lovely people in this church who have cooked me jerk chicken uh, many times. And your you, you people have done me well. I love chicken. And uh, to the point where chicken could be an anxiety in my life. Even this week I rung my wife on the way home from work thinking... If I ain't the chicken, I'm getting chicken on the way home. So I was like, babe, just, just, just ring me what's for dinner tonight. She's like, why? I was like, just chicken. She's like, it's chicken. I'm like, winner, winner, chicken dinner. So I had chicken, said so it's all good. But I do genuinely love chicken. But there was a wonderful time in my life where chicken was not an issue for me because one of my interns, Ben Sussex, he worked at Nando's. He was interning for me and working for Nando's in the same year. Praise Jesus, that was Nando's two or three times a week with 40% discount, living the dream. It's about who you know, people. I knew I had chicken on tap and not just getting 40% off, often I had chicken left over at the end of the shift. He's like, Stephen, I've got some chicken left over in the the shift. Would you like me to pop it round? Yes, please. I love chicken. Having chicken on tap. When you have someone who has the things you need and they love you and care for you, or if you're their boss, which does help as well, uh, then you know that the supply is plentiful and it's coming in your direction. Let me change the analogy. Um, I have had some rubbish cars in my life, lots and lots of them, and absolute scrap heaps. And uh, they have broken down at all kinds of times. And sometimes they have run out of fuel, which isn't the car's fault. That's someone else's fault. And, um, and, uh, but thankfully, I have a great older brother and, uh, who has many, many times come out and brought his AA card and uh, brought a can of fuel and helped me out. And I know I can call on him uh, because... He loves me most of the time. And uh, I have definitely called upon him many times. God is our great provider. He has the source of all that we need, chicken and otherwise. And he's one that loves us, who loves to come out and help us. So the answer to our anxieties around money is to have a relationship with this heavenly father. He has all the provision that you need for your life. He knows what you need even before you ask for it. He loves you, cares for you, and longs to provide for you. And Jesus makes this point in a couple of ways. He points to the birds of the air. Says, God made these. These creatures who are an important part of his creation. Some of them are really tasty too. And uh, he's saying, I, they, I provide for them. They don't sew or spin. They don't get out there shopping trolleys. They don't have to go on money saving experts to avoid anxiety about provision. No, God provides for them. And they are lesser creatures. You are higher. You are greater. You are of more importance to the Heavenly Father. You are his very own children. How much more will he provide for you? A second time, look again at the lilies of the field. They are beautiful, but they're just temporary there again unless lesser in our household um, I learned 10 years into marriage that buying flowers was a useful act, useless act of love I'd bring flowers home give them to my wife my wife would love me she'd, she'd say I love you she'd kiss me then put the flowers down two days later the flowers are still down she doesn't really like them that much she would never put them in the vase of water I would put them in the vase of water <clears throat> and I would then eventually take them out of the vase of water when it's gone brown and murky and all the petals have fallen off I was like babe do you not like flowers she's like no I like jewellery I was like okay good to be clear You want to start something less in there. If you want to bless the pastor, buy him chicken. You want to bless the pastor's wife, buy a jewelry. Uh, But, so she doesn't like flowers. Flowers that are beautiful, but are temporary, and again, are lesser than you. You are greater than the flowers of the field. God cares about what you wear, God cares about what you need, and He loves to provide. You are more valuable. I love this lesser and greater argument because it's made elsewhere. In the book of Romans, it says this: "He who did not spare his own son, this heavenly Father who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him graciously, give us all things?" It sounds like you look to what I have done. I've done. I've looked after the birds, showing to look after you. I looked after the flowers, look after you, and then he kind of flips and said, "And look what I gave for you already. I gave you my very own son." We preach this message every week at Emmanuel. Jesus upon the cross. Why? Because it is the greatest act of love that God has ever done. It's the greatest act of God's provision that he's ever done. Each of us had a great debt. Things that we've said and thought and done that are wrong, that needed paying for, that needed forgiving. as a debt that we can never fill up. But God came and filled it completely. And if he's given us that, how much more will he attend to our bills? to our food, to our clothing, to the things that we need. Now, it can be hard to trust God, to have this type of trust relationship. But it involves acknowledging our weakness, our lack of knowledge, our lack of control. On one level, this is all very obvious. He is God and we are his creatures. Yet there is an independent streak in each of us that wants to secure our own future. And when things inevitably fall apart, our natural instinct is to work it out ourselves. How many times you heard someone said, oh, I finally got around to praying. Finally, why didn't you start there? Why don't you start by talking to your heavenly Father? He loves you and cares for you. So I've got four points of application for you. First one is just that. Expressing daily dependence upon God. The verses that Deb's read follow straight on after the Lord's prayer and God's teach, Jesus' teaching about prayer. And in there it says, give us our this day, our daily bread. God knows that each of us have needs. And He's not saying, Don't nag me about it. He's saying the opposite. He said, No, come and talk to me about it. I want to talk to you. I need to know what I want to know what you need. He does not need to know, he already knows. But he wants to have that relationship with you where you come and ask. When my children come and ask me for things, which they do all the time. I want my default to be yes to them. Why? Because my Father Heaven's default is yes to me. If I'm saying no, it's because I've got something better for them. It's because I want to teach them patience. I'll teach them not to be greedy. But even then, I'm trying to give them something. But I want my default to be yes. Why? Because God's default to us is yes. I want to give to you what you need. Not always what you want, because he knows that can be damaging, but what we need. As I was walking along this week, thinking about this, uh, this sermon, just, can, just thinking about my own situation, and uh, just, just calling to mind the promise that God makes in this. As you put my kingdom first, I'll give you what you need. As you, Instead of seeking your own security, instead of hoarding what you have, as you generously give it, as you begin to trust me, actually, I will meet all your needs. And just just think: I know many, many in this room have given to many gift days over the years. Many in this room have standing orders. Literally hundreds of people in this site have standing orders out of their bank accounts into the church, giving worshipfully and sacrificially every single month. I would encourage you, just take moments where you consider that. And say, God, God, I just want you to know I'm seeking your kingdom first and I've got some needs. It's not, it's not an ultimatum. It's not twisting God's arm. It's just doing what he says in his word. Just praying back to him what he says here. That's the thing to go. hey God, you know some of the things right now me and Emma are praying about. Please see what we give, knowing that we're trying to honour you with what you've given us. And provide what we need. We trust you. The antidote to anxiety is prayerfulness and gratitude and thankfulness. Again, we find that in Philippians 4. It says, do not be anxious. Don't just full stop it there. But with prayer and supplication, bring your request before God. And a great thanksgiving as well. I often find that the antidote to some of my worries and grumbling is just to start remembering what God has done, what God has given me. And wow, it's amazing. If you live in this nation, you are blessed. We are affluent in, 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 uh, in relative terms. First application there, Lord, to pray. Pray this week. Maybe even pray this morning. Maybe you have big money worries right now. Maybe you've got some big debts and big issues. We've got a prayer team who are going to be around after the service. I'd love to pray with you or pray with someone you've come with. Don't keep it in the dark. Bring it into light. Number two, get some help. If, if, if money is, a, is an issue for you, we want to help you with that. We've set up a, the Thrive Money course. Some, I know many in the room will be on that. And it's just a small group going through really practical stuff. Yes, looking at what the Bible says, but looking at how do you budget, how do you dream with your finances? So often when the finance thing it's just it's a nightmare, thing. I don't really want to think about tomorrow. We don't want people to live in that way. We want to be inspired. We want to be those who are thriving in the area of money, believing God for greater things. Get some help with it. Um, you can just come and speak to our prayer teams, come to our pastoral team. We'd love to help you if you're in those, in those uh, places. Third thing, seek first his kingdom. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to seek his kingdom. How? By giving money to the poor. That's what God does. In God's kingdom, that's what we do. We don't hold things for ourselves. We don't invest just here on earth. We invest right away ahead. How do we do that? By giving away. It says this in Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. We want to be those who are free from anxiety, not just so we live in peace, but so then we can then give generously. Well, we might be free. We might give liberally away, including to the poor. We're going to do that this morning. Have you come prayerfully this morning? Have you come considering God, free me from my anxiety, anxiety for my own sake, yes, but also so that I may give to others who are in need following you into things that you are doing here on the earth gift day is a wonderful opportunity to do that so maybe you come prepared, go for it we'll have green envelopes out in a few moments there'll be green envelopes in buckets and places you can grab and uh, we're going to come forward and bring our gifts or maybe you just to hang back for a few moments and think God help us know what is it that we should give what is it that I need to give this morning what are you giving me faith for? how can I trust you in this area We want to be those who can do it cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. If you are an anxious giver this morning, can I ask you just not to give? Don't bring your anxiety. Bring your joy. Yes, you may have some butterflies ticking. This is a big amount. I've had that a few times. But I'm excited. If it's anxious, just hold back. Say, God, I want to have peace first. I want to know faith for this step. God doesn't need your money. God is able to meet the needs of the poor and of the church. What is that? He's inviting you. He's inviting you to come and join that adventure. Come and enjoy that journey. And we know as one here, I want us to underline that. We do not want to compel people to give. We want to invite you to it and thank you for it as well. The band are going to come, come and join me now. Just as I give us our fourth application, which is to come to the table. If you're a believer here this morning, you do know Jesus. You do know relationship with the Father. When we come to the table each week, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, thank you for that greatest gift you've given us. Thank you for laying down your life for me. And from that place of gratitude, knowing that I need to have no anxieties in my life. That the sin that I've committed is paid for, The death that I should die has already been, uh, Jesus already died for me. And when he was raised to life, I can be raised to life as well. My anxieties are gone and I can know peace with God. Let me pray for us and then we'll lead us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for your amazing generosity. Thank you. We each have things to live on right now. I pray, God, please give us faith as we look at it day by day. That We wouldn't be people who are anxious, but those who are peaceful, knowing that you, God, care for the things that we need and you are well able to provide for them. I pray too this might lead to generosity. Generosity within our own family, church family here. We might look after each other's needs, Lord God. But also that we might take seriously your call to us to take care of the poor as well. That we might continue to work that out over the coming years. But we just want to pray the outworking this morning would be that we would be those who give and give generously, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.